Hey everybody, here we go now. Time to start PODcast. It's episode 10. Was that good? I don't know if that was good, but um, here we are. We're back. It is episode 10, the 10th anniversary of this here podcast about new metal. It is myself, John Cullen. Uh, we're doing a great album this month. We are reviewing Kitty's 2000 album, Spit. And uh, with me, as always, is a man who will never choke. It's Brian Quinby. I just choked trying to think of what I was going to do when we came into the show. So you that was false, what you just said. <laughs> Okay, he is a man who will choke. It's yeah, Brian Quimpy. <laughs> that's that's better. You know, you never want to say I'm not going to choke because I've choked many times. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I was nervous because uh, we had talked about how kick-ass the chorus of Brackish is uh, before we were recording the episode, and and as people know, I I like to do the the intro of the episode in a style of the of the song or or the album. And so I tried to do it in the style of brackish, which probably came across um, just as me being uh, tone deaf and stupid. But what can you do? You know, it's episode 10. Sometimes you just got to do it for the fans. That's true. We're two episodes away from one year. So it's away from a year. Yeah, this is this is the June episode. We started in September. So July, August. And then, and then we got to do a fucking uh, a big one, a big boy in yeah, August. September. We got to figure out what the big boy is. You yeah, know, maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll try and uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll try and do it in person. <laughs> I'll just get down there so you and I can sit across a table from one another for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> hey, talk about the Deftones fifth record or whatever <laughs> we decide we have. I, well I do think it has to be like a follow the leader or 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 three dollar bill y'all or yeah. a, a fucking adrenaline or something like like yeah, we, we gotta go real heavy on that big one. record yeah big record I, I I you know it would make sense to do follow the leader because follow the leader starts at track 13 and it would be oh. so it would kind of be like a real Kind of for those heads who are in the know about new metal, that would be a very apropos follow the leader. Why did it start at 13 again? I don't remember that well, at all. I think the, I don't know if they ever talked about it. I know at the time, I feel like they refused to talk about it, but I'm pretty sure it's meant that like the first record was 12 songs. So if you follow the leader, then this would start at 13. Hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to look sure. this up now, but I mean, it would be better if I just waited until we did the episode about it. Yeah. But now I, uh, you're curious. I, I have to know. Remember, I remember going to the record store and buying follow the leader when it came out. And I might've even talked about this on the show before there was a sticker, like, you know how they would sometimes like put stickers on the plastic wrap of the album that might say like includes the single, blank you know like the britney spears album might say includes the single hit me baby one more time or whatever you know and i remember the the promotional sticker for the corn album said uh includes 30 minutes of silence because okay. like, tracks one to 12 were just silent and that was supposed to be like a selling feature it was like well, yeah, that's nice. check out this album it features features 12 songs of silence or whatever 
I like that though. I sometimes I need some silence. Sometimes when my daughter was really young, I would sometimes like if she wasn't here, I would just sit on the couch and do nothing, not look at my phone or anything and just stare off into space because it was never quiet here. Right. That makes sense <laughs> though. That's a different like I feel like when you're a young dad, uh, you just or or mom, when you're a young parent, it just is, you know, you just need that. You just need yeah. to sit and not have your senses stimulated in any way whatsoever. Yeah. It says here that they started on 13 as a tribute to Justin, the kid that the uh, album was uh, right. named after. Right. So uh, I guess oh, that's it. Favorite number 13 or something. Maybe he was 12 years old or 13 oh. years old, maybe. Or they said... Uh, I mean, they already wrote a song about him. Like, they they, they got to also include 12 tracks of silence. I, mean, I got to tell you, dude, if somebody wants to, like, make... If somebody's a make-a-wish and they want to meet me, I'm probably going to think they're... I, I'm going to be really into them. You know what I mean? Like, holy yeah. shit, you're going to die and now you want to meet me? Which is like the exact words that Jonathan Davis says in the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. True. He actually says, You're going to die. Want to meet me? Why? Yeah. So, anybody screams sure. it. So it sounds cool. You're yeah. No, it didn't sound cool coming from me. It just sounded like uh, uh, me uh, once again just saying how bad I need adulation. That's fair. <laughs> it is funny that, like, you know, I, I almost feel like if this if Follow the Leader came out now, Jonathan Davis would kind of be not canceled, but like there would definitely be a tweet that got retweeted like 400 ish times with like 2000 likes where they're like, wow. So John Davis meets a kid who's about to die. And the only thing he can think of is why does this kid want to meet me? It's not about you, Jonathan Davis. It's about the kid. Yeah, that's true. I mean, maybe. But uh, I got I got to imagine when you get in that make a wish uh, uh, kind of thing, because it seems like like a lot of wrestlers do it, too. It's got to be a fucking weird thing the first time you're in it. Like, oh, what? I thought this was for like guys like I thought this was for, like Tom Hanks, you know? Yeah, I think it's like a, it's it's like one of those weird things that like you probably eventually get good at it. Like you get good at like knowing what to say and when to say it and stuff. Like I remember um a friend of mine met Usher when she was like a teenager, so like Usher would have been like, you know, so hot to her and she said that like it was clear that like Usher was extremely good at talking to like 12 year old girls who like were just so starstruck that they couldn't hold a conversation with him. Like she was like, he basically just had a conversation with himself because I could barely talk, but like it made me feel special because it, it made me feel like we were having a conversation. But when I look back on it, I said like five words, but he would, just, like, he had had so many of those interactions where he was just like, okay, I kind of know like, how to deal with like a starstruck girl who, you know, just can't handle even speaking to me. And it's probably the same thing with make a wish. It's like, you probably just get used to like, okay, how do I approach this? What's the best way of talking about it? Yeah. I mean, I would say something very stupid. I'm, I'm for sure that, and I don't have faith that corn didn't say something very stupid oh, because well, I, I mean, I've watched, 
a lot of footage and read a lot of interviews and I can't imagine they handled that well. <laughs> well, I mean, we know Corn's policy about people who don't drink beer. So That's I can true. only assume that Corn showed up to the hospital with a six pack of Coors Light and they're like, listen, kid. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to write a fucking song about you until you drink a 12 pack with yeah. me, kid. If you want to hang out with me, you want to be cool. Okay. Like, Meeting corn is not cool. Getting drunk with corn when you're 12, that's cool. That is, that would be a good story to tell. Though. Sure. I will agree with that on, on the uh, other end. I mean, we got that interview later on in the show and we get a very cool story about getting drunk with somebody. True. That I would love to get very drunk with. So stay tuned on that. I don't even drink and I'd like to get drunk with this person. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Yeah, I guess... There's no point, really. We don't need to hide the interview because we'll be promoting the show with this person's like saying that they're on the show. So we don't have to like hide. I it. hit it. I yeah. at the beginning, it was hard to hide up to now. You yeah, know what I mean? Sure. Like it was hard yeah. to hide up till we recorded the show. It was like I don't want to tell anybody because I don't want to fucking jinx it. But it was like I can't believe this shit. Yeah, it was crazy. We said we would never have a guest on the show, but later on in the show, we do have Fallon Bowman from Kitty joined us for a 50-minute chat. So we we went deep. We told her it was going to be 30. Uh, we went 50. She was so nice and, and gracious, and you're going to hear that later on in the show. Uh, but before we get to that, we are we normally like to do a lot of banter off the top, but we should get right into the album because uh, we know we, we don't want to take too much time before we get to Fallon. So uh, a little bit of background uh, before we get to our own history with the album and everything. Uh, so Kitty uh, is this album came out in January 11th of 2000. So pretty early in the year 2000. Uh, it is Kitty's debut record. Uh, it came out on uh, NG Records, a small record label, which Fallon will tell us about later on in the show. Uh, the record did pretty well. It sold 600,000 copies in the United States. It's been officially certified gold. In the United States, it also topped the Heat Seekers chart uh, for the billboards uh, at number one and uh, topped out at number two on the Independent Albums chart. Uh, And it was also uh, 191 on the Billboard 200 in the year 2000, which is a pretty impressive feat for uh, four 16-year-old women from Canada who were making this album at the time. So pretty incredible. Uh, So I know, uh, Brian, you, you have a fairly... Uh, you have a fairly limited uh, history with this album, correct? Yeah, I didn't uh, uh, listen to it much when I was younger, and I can only chalk that up to uh, toxic masculinity, I'm sure, was the real reason why. I, I couldn't tell you really why now, but like, I know that I probably didn't listen to uh, musicians that were women until I was in my mid-30s. <laughs> really? That's interesting. Yeah. Like, so not really. No, I mean, I was, you know, I mostly listened to metal and that's another thing we talked with Fallon about, but like not a lot of women in metal, you know? True. Yeah. Yeah. If metal is your favorite genre, uh, it's certainly um, easier to kind of not get away with is the wrong word, but it's more understandable that like you wouldn't, you know, you can easily listen to many, many different bands in metal and, and not come across women really. Yeah, I didn't really get all. I mean, I was I wasn't just listening to. I I would say maybe 
my late twenties is when I started listening to uh, artists that were like female artists. Because before that, I was sort of like, I I just I think I was like so not in tune with that kind of thing that I just I and, and again like I grew up listening to rap and metal. And uh, I just, I never, I never, I never listened to this album. I knew about it. I had heard, uh, I think I'd saw them at Ozfest, but obviously if you see a band and you don't know any of their songs, it doesn't like, it doesn't make an impression on you. You know, I guess, I mean, I've, I've probably been to two concerts in my life where I didn't know the band and they made a real impression on me and I became a fan after the concert, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. I, yeah, that number is quite limited for me too. And um, I think especially back in the old days where, where, you know, I, I think now more like more and more bands are kind of booking their own tours and they're not so much label influenced anymore, at least like bands on a, on a smaller scale that, that you and I might be going to shows of. But I remember back in the day, it was like a big thing where, you know, a bigger band would take like some band from their label on tour with them that like, just were total shit and it's just like their label just forced them like i remember i saw weezer tour make believe uh which was not good either they did like a club tour to promote make believe because they hadn't done anything since uh when, when, when was make believe the goddamn you know there was a period where weezer wasn't making any albums and people were like when's weezer gonna make another album now they have 75 albums i know it's crazy there were two periods they had the period in between pinkerton and green which was like four years or five years and then they had the period between maladwat and make believe which was like another three or four years uh that was the one where river to rivers took a break to go to harvard or columbia or wherever it was he went the one after Pinkerton was that right, or am I oh, wrong? That's green. So, so after Pinkerton, Rivers got like depressed because everybody hated Pinkerton, and so they idiots. Like that's their off. only good album. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, but he just like fucked off, and he like couldn't handle it. He did go to school at that time, but like that wasn't the express reason why Weezer was not making music. And then after Maladwat, because they put out Green, and then Maladwat came out the next year, I think. So those were like right away. Those came out, and then. Um, yeah. And then they just took like another four years off so he could finish his degree that he had started before the green album. So they came I mean, back to make believe and they did a club tour and they played in Vancouver and I was so excited to see them. The show wasn't that great, but that, but the, all I, this long story, all it's leading up to is that this band opened called ringside, um, that no one has ever heard of before or since, but they were just like another band on the geffen record label and it was clear that they were just like whoa shit weezer they're doing a weezer comeback tour we'll throw this band on with them and they were so fucking bad brian it was crazy yeah i've seen a few like that i mean the two that i i can remember seeing and really making me a fan was you know i saw limp biscuit very early before they released three dollar billy all and i became a big fan of that right and them obviously and sheer mag I saw oh, they somebody from Sheer Mag was a fan of the show and they uh, asked us to come out when they were playing Columbus and put us on the list and shit. And we came out and that band blew me the fuck away. They're so good. If you've never heard Sheer Mag, hear them. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm, I'm trying to think like for me, Warp Tour, like Warp Tour introduced me to a few bands because I was like totally the type of kid that like 
got to warp to her before bands even started playing. Like I'd get there at like 11 AM when the doors open and I would stay there all day and I just loved it. And I would say that, um, like the early November is a band I discovered from warp tour that I still love. Pardon me. Um, but like, yeah, maybe glass jaw too. I don't, maybe didn't really hear till warped. I don't really remember, but there was a few warp tour bands, but as far as like bands that opened and like really blew me away, I don't know that there are a whole lot really. I saw this band yeah. called auto Lux once that was really, really good. I just went to their show randomly. They're opening for this other band called ambulance. And they were really good, but that's Auto all. Lux and Ambulance. Yeah, it was like Ambulance Limited, I think. But they 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 were called Ambulance. Then they got like sued or something because another band was called Ambulance. So then they changed their name to Ambulance Limited. But they oh stylize it as like LTD Ambulance LTD. They were like fine. They're just kind of like indie. Auto Lux was pretty badass though. They had actually. It's funny that we're talking about Kitty this week because they actually had an amazing. A uh, woman who drummed for Autolux and she was incredible. Carla, uh, Carla Agar or Azar is her name. <laughs> I just like the idea of it's like Carla's playing for the band, just yeah, Carla, one name, you know, just Carla, Carla yeah, you know. Yeah, she has one name and it's Carla. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, she was but this, that, but but like I, I will say that I did have a story. My brother went to King's Island and Kitty was there and he stood in line behind him. And uh, didn't bother them and was very nervous. My brother was a little more open and 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 probably listened to the album. But uh, uh, no, this is the first time I'm really listening to this. You know, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Like I, it's funny because I, I can I can imagine you, you know, coming up in the Midwest and listening to all these new metal bands. Like I could imagine a band of women seeming like not intimidating, but you would just kind of be like, ah, yeah, okay, whatever. Like I, you know. I don't need to hear that or whatever. But for me, it was different because they're Canadian. So, you know, I think I've talked on the show before, like in Canada, we have this thing called the CRTC, the Canadian Radio and Telecommunications Corporation. And they insist that all Canadian radio and TV, like music TV channels, like we had much music back in the day, they insisted that all those channels have like a certain percentage of Canadian content. So if there's like a good Canadian band and they get like just shoved down your throat, and sometimes that's good. And in this case, it was good because this would have been, you know, the height of corn and limp biscuit and whatever. So the idea that there was not only a Canadian new metal band that was sweet, but then that they also had the addition, additional sweetness factor of being an all female group. Uh, you know, Kitty, the, the two singles off this record, Charlotte and Brackish, uh, got played all the time on Much Music. And that was when I fell in love with them. And I, you know, I was a huge fan of this record when it first came out, just massive. I, I remember I'm not like a song on repeat kind of guy. I'm like, if I hear a song once in a day, that's good enough for me. I don't need to hear it again. I'm, I've never understood people who are like, oh, I love this song. I just put it on repeat and I listen to it 20 times in a row or like that has never happened with me. But I would say in my life, like one of the maybe 10 songs that was like a repeat song for me was Brackish. I just love yeah. the chorus of the song so much. It's funny that we had Fallon on the show. Like her part in that chorus is so fucking good. Yeah. And like it just, I, I can remember like listening to that song on repeat and just getting fired up. Like it's just such a hard hitting chorus and song. It's so fucking badass. Like I, I think that's the part of the album that that's when it really, I mean like the whole thing grabs me because truthfully it sounds like, uh, uh, something 
it sounds like if anybody asked me what new metal was, I think I would almost rather give them this than than the corns or the limp biscuits or anything like that. This really does everything and does it all well. Yeah, I think I think the thing too that that might stand out with this album in terms of something like that where someone's like hey show me a good new metal record i think like corn and limb biscuit or lincoln park or whoever i feel like they sound like what people think new metal is you know like i think that people have this preconceived notion of what new metal sounds like because they've heard like three new metal songs ever so if you played them any like corn or limb biscuit or whatever they would just be like okay yeah they would just dismiss it. They'd be like, yeah, this is what new metal sounds like. I don't give a shit about it. Whereas like, I think Kitty has, uh, has like a kind of X factor that would make people go, Oh shit. Okay. New metal was also this. It's, it, it's similar to when you play people, the Deftones, you know, if people don't know Deftones and then you're like, well, this is new metal. And then they listen to it and they're like, well, wait, this isn't new metal. And it's like, okay, well, cause you heard break stuff. You think, you know what new metal is like, it was a bunch of different things. And I feel like what Kitty is doing is different from new metal but still new metal in a way where it, it might be pardon me something that you could show people where they would be like oh shit new metal is fucking cool well and it's 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 also there's something really cool about it because like it's uh uh more than all of the other new uh, new metal albums i can't think of very many of them uh it's this is an evil album like which is like new metal like really consciously kind of ran from that kind of thing where like uh uh you know i'm reading this this oral history of metal and i'm in the new metal chapter now and uh there's a little piece in there about stained that their uh demo album had a picture of a bible with a knife through it and it was bleeding and uh, Fred Durst wouldn't listen to it like he was pissed off and offended by it because he, you know, I, I guess he's Christian or not Christian, just nervous, you know, back in the day, <laughs> <laughs> back in the day, like redneck type, because I, I know because I, I rolled it. We rolled a joint with Bible paper once and a lot of my friends were like, well, I'm not fucking with that, dude. That's not cool. You know, yeah. <laughs> so like sometimes you'll just hit that spot with people and uh, uh, it'll freak them out. But this album, like the album art, the album cover looks a little bit evil and the songs sound a little bit more evil and it just fucking kicks ass. Like the, I, I did. And it, it might just be who what's going on with me now, because like I'm really into evil music, <laughs> but uh, they definitely took some some like Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson kind of that kind of uh, stuff too, as part of their influence here. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I talked about this with Fallon a little bit, uh, you know, which you'll hear later in the show. So I, I won't harp on it too much here, but you know, I've talked on the show before about, about new metal scaring me. And I think like as a 14 year old boy, there was something about this like raw energy coming from women that scared me and not, and I don't mean that in a like, toxic masculinity type of way i just mean it in like i was a pretty conservative shy kid especially when it came to sex and to me this album felt like i knew that it was confronting difficult uh difficult situations or um you know difficult sexual things 
but I didn't quite grasp exactly what, cause I was only 14. So I, you know, I don't think I probably understood a lot of what was being talked about on this record, but even as a 14 year old, there was this kind of feeling of like, yeah, this is fucking, this is heavy. Like you could feel that it was heavy both in the music, but also in the lyrical content and in the way it's delivered too. like the lead singer, Morgan Lander, uh, you know, is just like really, you know, she's delivering these lyrics with a, with a feeling, you know, it's, it's similar to when you listen to like early corn records and you hear John Davis, like you, you feel like he's really releasing his emotions and his childhood and whatever into the songs. And you get the same feeling from this record where it's like, it doesn't feel like she went to a scream coach. It feels like she's screaming at you. Like, I've been in some really shitty situations and I, and more people need to know about this and whatever, like they're speaking truth in a way that probably didn't exist a whole lot in 2000. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like that, that is another thing. It's like everybody that listened to this kind of music that hung out with me could have probably benefited from like (laughs) listening to this kind of music, you know? Yeah. Like it's, it's really, uh, it, it, I, I, I can't fucking believe some of the stuff they were singing about, and like how young they were when they were making. I don't know how old were they when they hit. I didn't ask. I didn't ask Fallon this. My but like, guess from what she was saying, and I'm like, I'm kind of trying to look at their like Wikipedia pages or whatever. Um, so Fallon it was born in '83, so this record would have came out when she was not quite 17 yet. So she would have been 16 when they were recording it. And when it came out or she would have been 15 when they started recording it because they were, it says they recorded in the summer of 99. So she would have turned 16 just after they recorded it. And when it came out. So that is, I mean, that's pretty insane. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, there, there weren't like, I mean, I'm trying to think of a lot of acts that are, uh, what's the, like, I'm trying to think of a lot of acts that are, uh, um, women who, who sing about this kind of stuff that were around at that time. And like, all that really pops up in my mind is like Fiona Apple was very open. Yeah. Back to then me, it would have been about like, sort of thing. Yeah. Like Liz fair, Tori Amos, PJ Harvey, I would guess would have maybe been some influences, but Fallon also talks about how they listen to like just a lot of metal. So like Morgan would have been a little older. So Fallon is the same age as Mercedes, who's the drummer. And then Morgan is her older sister. So I'm guessing Morgan was probably 18 when they were doing this. So, I mean, still not old, but like maybe a little older where she would have, you know, encountered some of the, the sexism and, and all that. Kind of, I mean, well, obviously they likely would have all encountered it before then, oh, but Jesus. you know, it was probably terrible. Like yeah. b- being on tour or like being at yeah. Ozfest and stuff like that is like, fuck dude. I know. I tried not to ask Fallon about that because I was like, you know, you, she probably just gets asked about that all the time about like being like a 17 year old girl on tour with those bands. I mean, we talked about it with her a little bit, but I try not to get too far into it, but yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine it. And so the fact that she was kind of singing about these things probably before worse things happened too, right? Like you can only imagine once they went on tour, it got even worse, right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) It's got to be weird. I mean, she does have a story when we talk that that you'll hear about uh, uh, touring with Disturbed, which it is fucking badass that 
disturbed open for them, you know? Yeah, totally. Fuck disturbed. But, yeah. uh, yeah. Mercedes Lander is a realtor now, which I think is, uh, uh, somebody sent me her picture, oh, uh, really? for her realtor real estate agency. And, uh, it was, uh, well, it, it looks so crazy to think like, I mean, I would use the kitty. I'd like, here's the thing. It's like, I would spend my, the rest of my life, like just ch- chasing the money from the time that I was in a band, you know, <laughs> like I, I think about, uh, uh, when you were talking about Weezer and Rivers Cuomo going to, um, you talked about Rivers Cuomo going to college. I was like, I would fucking never learn a single thing after I got famous. <laughs> well, I feel like Kitty's last album, I think, came out in like 2016 or something like that. So I still feel like they are touring a little bit. But yeah, like, I mean, the thing is, you got to think like they're Canadian, right? So it was only I mean, yes, their first record sold 600,000 copies, but that's the most any of their records sold. And so, you know, it's like, yeah, you can make a certain amount off of touring, but then do you want to tour for the rest of your life too? Like probably not, especially if you started when you were 16, like if you were playing Ozfest when you were 16, it's got to be pretty hard when you're 26 to do like a club tour opening for a band you know, like, cause that's probably what ended up happening. You know, their next couple records after that weren't very big. So, you know, maybe it gets flipped and they're opening for disturbed or something. And then they're playing like thousand cap clubs or whatever. And that's probably not as exciting. Like, you know, Fallon talks about that a little bit, but it was just, yeah, it was kind of crazy. Like, I, I feel like you just would kind of lose it after that. Probably. Right. I read up on like, like they're near the, they're, at the end of the touring cycle with spit, they were about to go on tour with Pantera, which I think is just a fucking, that would have been an insane tour. Like they would have been playing arenas at that. But I mean, I guess they had already done amphitheaters. I just, I think it's like incredible that these young women were able to, to pull this off. Like it seems, I, I can't imagine that it didn't seem like an, insurmountable task because i just think about even when when uh uh starting street fight like i never ever ever in those early days thought i would make a living doing this like i just was like no it's impossible it's not gonna fucking happen you know and i guess maybe in canada there are a little there is a little bit more of an opportunity and that like they do have that can con thing see i know about it's, canadian it's content yes you know no. it's, it's yes and no like i i would argue yeah like you know what exactly what you're saying like these are four girls from london ontario which is like that would be like four girls from from toledo like it's like the same it's like a small town but well, not small it's like a it's like a mid-sized city in a in our largest province but like Yes, you have CanCon, but the thing is, in Canada, there's only like 10 cities that are viable to tour to. Yeah. (laughs) And it's a day of driving in between all of them. So like touring in in Canada is like almost impossible because it's like, you know, so say you start in Vancouver where I live. uh, So you play Vancouver. The nearest major city is Calgary. That's a 10 hour drive. Then you could go to Edmonton, which is a three hour drive. Then Edmonton to Regina is like, three or well no it's probably about six hours then regina to saskatoon's three 
and then Saskatoon to Winnipeg is like 14 hours. Then Winnipeg to Toronto is 28 hours probably because you got to drive around Lake Ontario and Lake Superior. So you go around both of them to get to Toronto and then Toronto to Montreal is like four hours. Montreal to Quebec City is like six. And then you've got to get on a plane to play the Maritimes if you want. And Halifax is basically the only city in the Maritimes. So even if you're a big Canadian band, you've got you've got options to play like 10 to 20 cities. You know, you could add some little cities here and there if you wanted to. Like, you know, you can do Kamloops and Kelowna and BC. You can do London and Kingston and Ontario, like cities that have arenas. But like, basically, it's a death sentence. Like being big in Canada is like whatever, you know? Right. I mean, because there are like uh, uh, you telling me about Serial Joe, you and Chris, (laughs) when you told me about that, I was like, I fucking never heard a second of this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And being successful in Canada, I mean, obviously doesn't mean being successful in the States. So, you know, I think the tragically hip are a great example of, of that, you know, or it's Sloan. A, you, know, you know, what's a bummer is being successful in the States doesn't really mean being successful in the States. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't think I'm successful in Columbus at all. Like I would never feel like I'm, I'm I'm like anything in Columbus, but and yeah, when I go to like New York and stuff, I'm like, hey, I'm successful. Hell, okay, just re- <laughs> freak right now during, you know, during this quarantine. I like I've been such a fucking freak about the whole thing because it's like, man, I haven't stood in front of a bunch of fucking people in a long time, you know, yeah. and uh, like I don't even know how you get past like sort of that need when when it feels like the band is over the band's kind of fizzled out the 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 music's not happening anymore you know like i i, I think fallon leaving the band is i i, I should have talked to her a little bit more about it but i do think her leaving the band was like such an incredibly brave move that i would have never been able to pull and i would have been like all right let's just get together and make a shitty album yeah let's do it let's let's ride this wave totally oh totally especially because it was like only a year later like spit drops in january of 2000 they do like a year of hard touring pardon me and then their second album oracle comes out at the end of 2001 so like it's really like a year and a half of uh you know of like of getting that touring time yeah so the oracle came out october 30th 2001 Oof, so bad time to come out i'll tell you that <laughs> yeah exactly so, so every that's the it's thing. so it's funny like, it seems like so many of these albums came out yeah, like we, right around 9 11 and you're like <laughs> we talk about 9 11 on this podcast more than podcasts that are about 9 11 <laughs> it's so weird it's so fucking weird because like it happened in that time it was like the biggest thing that happened at that time and it like had this un you know this definite change in the world and like you know i have talked to i you know i i'm not maybe we can get him on to talk about it eventually but matt chrisman from chapo uh has this like theory about like why metal sort of started to die after 9-11 because like uh uh the 90s and that two that that year 2000 were were like uh, uh everything was good like we thought 
you know, we were at the end of history. Everything was good. We had figured everything out as as like a society. And then fucking 9-11 happened. And it was like, uh, yeah, I don't want to spend any more time in the darkness than I have to. You know? <laughs> oh, totally. And I think, too, like we've talked about this a lot on the show before. But, you know, um, when I was growing up and new metal was big, like I was putting all of my problems into listening to this music. And my, I didn't have any problems. Like, so like I'm imagining in my mind that I've got this like absolutely shitty life and like, I have a great life really, you know, but it was, there was something about the like suburban teen angst that like new metal tapped into. And then once nine 11 happened, it was like, okay, well actually my life is pretty good. Like I'm not going to war. I'm not going to Iraq. I'm not going to Afghanistan. I'm like still chilling in my suburban home. Like I'm just, I don't have this reason to be angry anymore. Like I, I more have a reason to be grateful than anything else. And I think yeah. that's maybe what kind of like fucked it up for these new metal bands. It's like, they were kind of preying on that, on that suburban angst energy and they just weren't getting that anymore. And I think that that's part, partly why too, your theory that metal's making a comeback i think is because of that now it's like you know i mean obviously the pandemic and everything that's happening in the states right now is not it's not good but um i think there is this sense of like there 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 is now like real angst and people are looking for a way to channel that now it's like we've got climate change we've got you know these other things happening the pandemic whatever but we're not at war so we don't need like war songs. So we need these other songs. We need something to like get out our angst about all this shit that's going on. And then now metal's back for us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. And it, it also is just that cycle too. Cause when you think of somebody that was five years old when this stuff or not five, maybe eight, nine, 10 years old when this stuff really hit, Maybe, maybe five. I, I don't know. They're old. I think a lot of kids, older siblings listen to this stuff. A lot of young adults, older siblings, 20, 20, 20 to 25 year olds, you know, and uh, they just remember it as like this cool thing. They didn't see like the downfall because they weren't kind of paying attention to it. And like rock and roll just be like everything in the end becomes classic rock there's no way to fucking stop it from happening like every band is in a march to classic rock and i think kitty is a fucking you know they're a classic rock band they sound great <laughs> they sound they sound like of that time yeah and um they they perfect this album perfectly encapsulates that time like when you play this you feel like it's the year 2000 when you're yeah. listening to it that's how i felt at least like it really took me back and it was like damn i have listened to you know so many it doesn't sound like anything uh, any of the other bands to like i can't say who it sounds like i i don't even think like it's almost like a pre-Slipknot Slipknot in a way is as yeah. close as I can get to figuring out who and this they, band was. They toured with Slipknot. So that makes sense. Like, I mean, they're heavy in tours was, was with Slipknot. Yeah. They're heavy in the same way. I think yeah. as Slipknot. Yeah. I and I think it's comparison. like, 
I think it's really cool that they're heavy in the same way as Slipknot because like, you know, if women were going to be in this music, they had to be fucking heavy. They couldn't even rap probably because people would have fucking thrown shit at them because people were fucking horrible back then. You know, this was like an era where every one of these concerts had people chanting, show your tits to every woman in the room. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. And and I I think your point's well made that, that they almost had to be this kind of scary, not over the top, but just like very aggressive band to be like, to almost put people on blast to be like, yeah, don't fuck with us. Like we're, this is serious shit. We're not just like in this cause it's a gimmick or something like we're in this for real. And it, it was funny you're going to hear later on, we talk with Fallon about how they got compared to like a lot of other all female bands. And I think a lot of, uh, at that time, especially a lot of the all female bands did kind of feel like industry plants. They did. It did kind of feel like, okay, they're probably not really doing this for real or like, you know, there was always, there always had to be some sort of pop sensibility to these like all female bands. Like, the Donna's and L seven and other bands like that. Whereas like Kitty, there was none of that. Kitty was just like unapologetic. This is what we're about. We're doing it. It's hard. And I love like the production on this record is so gritty and raw. Like I think it totally feels like a two thousands record where it just really hits you hard. You're like, Holy shit, this is, this is intense, you know? And the lyrics are so intense to match the production. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it really, it, I, I really admire like what, I really admire like what they did now listening. And I really also, I mean, I can't believe how good this album is. I mean, Brackish is, I, I'm fucking mad at myself because I would have, Brackish would have gotten me into Kitty back then there's nothing would have stopped me from getting into this band i just didn't listen to it because this was like everything i liked about it also thought it was really fucking neat like oh i don't even want to spoil what she says but her her the album that inspired her is like one of the most important albums to me you know so I don't know. I, I love this album a lot. What uh, what were some of the other tracks that you really dug that, that really stuck out to you? Because I, I, for me, this is a very, uh, I like the whole album, uh, but the first, like, the first six tracks just are really, I mean, it's just nonstop. The, they're so good. Yeah, I mean, like, here's another thing about this album that fucking rules. It's 37 minutes. Yeah. It is a 37 minute long album and uh, the songs are uh, the songs are like sort of perfectly placed and they they if this is going to sound like negative, but it's not. It sort of sounds like a journey, but it sort of sounds like one song, I guess. You know, but I, I like the opening track spit. I like Charlotte a lot. I liked Brackish and, uh, you know, uh, get off. You can eat a dick has like, a, you know, the title's not great, but it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, I, the one thing I do like about it is that the we the the bracketed title is you can eat a dick. And that is the chorus of the song. Like, you know, sometimes you get these like 
song titles where they don't show up in the song. Whereas like this, the chorus literally is just, you can eat a dick. It's like, sick. yeah, <laughs> it's cool. I mean, these songs were like, I mean, I can't tell you. I mean, Brackish obviously is the one that stands out. It's just a standout fucking song. It's yeah. it's so good. Totally. But uh, Charlotte is another standout song. I also like Do You Think I'm a Whore? I, yeah. I would agree with you. That the first like six, seven songs on this thing are all fucking badass. But I honestly think this whole thing is uh, this. The, uh, every song on here is good. I think. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I like the whole record, too. I really think that uh, it's really solid in a way that I didn't remember either. I have to say, like, I, I feel like I remember when I was a kid. Uh, I would kind of get to brackish and then brackish was just so good. And then I was kind of like, you know, sort of didn't listen to the rest of the record sometimes. Uh, but then re-listening to it for this, I was like, oh no, this whole record is actually good. Like, I think I remembered in my mind that it was a kind of slipknot situation where the back half of the record wasn't as good, but I, rem- but it's really good. And I, I do love like that, you know, for a young band and a band doing their debut album, like I do love that the songs have different feels to them you know like charlotte is so melodic and like the guitar work that they're doing in the verses of that is really really cool and then brackish is almost just like really straight ahead metal uh like really heavy I mean, really brackish cool. has the most rap type yeah, thing the most on this rap album influence but then you've got kind of slower songs like paper doll and immortal uh, that that fit the vibe and everything and yeah it's just it's sweet man i i really uh i i was surprised at how well it held up i thought because I, I remember the album having very gritty production and sometimes that doesn't hold up well for me so i was a little bit nervous maybe going back to it thinking like okay this might not hold up super well uh but it yeah it sounds great i mean it didn't it didn't sound as bad as corn no at all no to like me this it, it album didn't sound bad it just sounded gritty i would say yeah, it doesn't sound muddy is the exactly. word that like I used to describe corn and like it didn't sound muddy at all. It sounds pretty well recorded. Yes. Uh, you know, better it's than well recorded by some raw. of these albums. Yeah, yeah definitely sure. raw. Yeah. And that's what I would say, too. Um, so, yeah. So normally at this point of the podcast, we would uh, we would review some articles from the time period, look at those and and talk about some of those. But why do that when we have the real thing and uh, we've been talking about it for a while now. So uh, we'll, we'll just head straight into it. Uh, this is uh, what you're going to hear well, next. Our, our interview. What? Never mind. Why, you I'm fucking up. I know what you're going to do. Why you want to say more shit? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I thought we were going to do the challenge and uh, picking albums, but I just figured out what your plan is. Yeah. That we're going to do that after the interview with Fallon. <laughs> Just two extremely humiliating moments for me on this show and the last bonus show. And then that. <laughs> okay. Well, I was doing a crystal clear segue, but uh, let's get, <laughs> let's just move on. I think I inter- I think I do a great segue at the, at the top of the Fallon interview. So I don't even need to say much, but uh, it was our pleasure to have her on uh, absolutely fantastic person, musician, uh here's fallon bowman all right this is exciting for us uh brian we said that we would never have a guest on the main episodes we said it would always be only brian and i and we would only have guests on bonus episodes but this is this is this is very special for us this is our 10th episode of the show we we knew we had to 
we had to do something special and we're doing this album that a lot of people have asked us to do. And so we figured why not bring one of the members who was involved in the making of this album on the show, our first guest and maybe our only guest, oh. Alan Bowman from Kitty. Hello guys. How's it going? Uh, it's I, great. I'm, I, we're definitely not having another guest on this show, <laughs> on this part just, of the show. Saying right now, no one else. No so one I better else. not fuck, top. I better not fuck it up. Is what you yeah, say. no pressure. No pressure at all. No pressure. <laughs> I mean, I, I would, I would have Chino on this uh, show. Uh, um, <laughs> I would, I would definitely listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'd I mean, listen to your podcast where you uh, talked about the Deftones albums. The um from a few years ago totally uh, a, a chino stan i have i'm not afraid <laughs> to say that uh, since i was like 12 and saw him for the first time i'm like it's faded we're gonna get married but it never happened but anyways but, um, yeah, we're very pro we're very pro chino is is a hot guy on this show that's like a big we're a big chino's a hot guy Stan on this show yeah hot and horny he's a very <laughs> horny guy too we've decided but yeah i i listened to that podcast and uh, me and you were going. I think me and you went to all the same tours. Oh, basically, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like I was in Ohio. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah. when you were talking about times that you saw him, like the first few times you saw him and stuff, I was like, I was that. I went to that one. I went on that tour. Oh man, uh, some of my greatest memories. Yeah, they're great. They're I'm really great live. Guys. Like I'm a little bit younger, Fallon. I'm. I'll be 35 this year. So like. Okay. Brian saw corn when they were like touring self-titled and I was nine. So, okay. Uh, you know, so I don't get Brian always, Brian went to Woodstock 99. So like shut the front door. That's yeah. awesome. That's funny. <laughs> okay. I, I, I was going to go to the warp tour where Limp Bizkit was on. Do you guys remember that? Oh, was that like 97? 97. 97. It was 97. And my parents were like, no fucking way. You're a child. <laughs> You're not going to. How old were you? You were 14? Uh, no, 97. I think it was 13. Okay. 13. My parents were really, my parents were really, cause I'm, I'm 42. Okay. And, uh, my aunt was like, I'm going to take you to a Motley Crue concert when I was oh. in fourth grade. She was like, I really want to take you to see Motley Crue. And I was like, seriously, this is the <laughs> best news I've ever heard. And my parents are like, you're not going to a Motley Crue concert when you're nine. Yeah, yeah. But you know, <laughs> I, I saw um, many times at shows um, kids, I'm ta- I'm, I mean kids, maybe five, six years old, people were bringing their children uh, to our shows. And I remember that I was just like, how old are you? You're like five. My parent, my parents like died if, if I wanted to say I, I wanted to go see Sloan in their Canadian band. But, uh, <laughs> but they were like, oh my God, you can't go see Sloan. There's loud music. I'm like, well, have you heard Sloan? <laughs> like- <laughs> well, it's funny. It, it is funny. One of the things that I thought about when I was listening to this album, because I didn't listen to it when... It came out okay. because I was an idiot. Um, but uh, one of the things I was thinking about is that you guys were you were so young when you made the thing. And I was wondering, like, what your what your parents thought, because there is some like pretty there's some there's some stuff in there that like I, I'll, I'll tell you a story that takes two seconds. One time my parents were outside working on the house and a dog came running at me and I was like, oh, shit. 
And my fucking stepmom turned around and started screaming at me. And she was like, did you just say shit? Oh, I guess you're so used to it. You say it all the time. And she was like mad at me about it. (laughs) So I was like wondering like what they thought kind of about some of the subject matter on the albums. Uh, Funnily enough, uh, my, my, okay. My parents are very conservative people. Um, And so a lot of the, like a lot of the time I spent, uh, my, well, yeah, I spent all of my time at the Landers, which is Morgan and Mercedes house. When we were kids, like 11, 12 years old, I spent all my time there. Her parents were not conservative at all. <laughs> they were very like, you know, um, wonderful people and basically, um, saved me so many times. Cause I'm just like, Oh, my parents are smothering me. Oh, <laughs> but anyways, um, they, they didn't, Funnily enough, they never really said anything to me about it because I wasn't really the ones writing all of the the lyrics and stuff except for Choke, um, which they have never to this day asked me what it's about. Although you would think like as a mother and a father reading that thinking, okay, maybe I should talk to my children about what's going on in in his or her life. Um, So they they didn't say much about it. And now, and that's funny now that I think about it now, (laughs) if I were a mother and, you know, my kids were, even today, when I, when I link my IMDB to say, you know, a a casting director or whatever, I die a little bit because one of the credits on there is uh, one of the songs called Get Off was used in some show or whatever. And it credits me as one of the writers. And it says, get off, you can eat a dick in big letters. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh my God. What are they? These people are probably like these like Hollywood people looking at me like, oh my God, what the hell? <laughs> Wait, she's not an adult film star. Yeah, exactly. Like... <laughs> That's no. a very like new metal uh, way of, of titling a song, like just throwing like provocative <laughs> statements in brackets. <laughs> you know, it's just like. In you know, because like, <laughs> like a very, at least that one too is like, it says get off. So that's a little bit more, but my favorite new metal, like naming convention would be like, the, it was clear that they wanted to call the song, the thing in the brackets, but the label wouldn't let them or whatever. So we yeah. just have some like nondescript name, like the chair song. And then in brackets, like get fucked by a million cops. Or <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's about, really. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. No, Did your it, parents it, ever come to see the shows or anything? Or were they just kind of like, okay, you're doing this and that's whatever? It's funny because um, I never understood where my love for metal and extreme music in general came from. Because I had these super conservative, pa- conservative parents. So once things started to pick up uh, with the band and we started touring the world and whatever... My dad, the most, the more conservative of the two, <laughs> turned out to be the hardcore metalhead the entire time. He was just really low key about it. Oh, he crazy. goes. So it was like genetic, but you didn't know. Like I he, didn't wasn't, know. <laughs> he wasn't playing Slayer records, but it was like in your blood. And you it, yes. Like- so, uh, and it was right around the time I left the band, but just before actually, I got into my dad's car one day, and he was driving me somewhere, and I'm like, Dad, what are you listening to? He's like. Opeth. Dad, <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? So then I look at all the CDs that he has in his car, and it's like um, Opeth, um, uh, Morbid Angel, like all of these really 
you know, that you wouldn't expect as 50 or some late 50s year old man listening to maybe not so much now, but still. Um, yeah, uh, they did warm up to it. My dad especially came to concerts in Seattle. He came to one and he brought my my seven year old brother, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> to a, a show. It, and my mom came as well in Montreal. That happened to be the night that we were touring with Disturbed. They were opening for us, which is just hilarious to me now. Um, <laughs> uh, where on the stage, they the 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 guys like before the show or whatever went on Rue Saint Catherine, which is like this pretty it's a popular street in Montreal, but it's also a lot of sex shops and a lot of like yeah, super sex. Yeah. So they went out and they bought about. 20 dildos and all these things and they decided to throw it at us while we were playing and i'm uh, like my fucking parents are here <laughs> and my seven-year-old brother can you not like it was <laughs> but they were yeah so they did eventually kind of come around and then come see the show and and you know they became very involved uh later on so yeah that's sweet. that's cool that gives me like hope because my parents uh, keep asking if they could come to one of my live shows oh. and uh, um, I just tell I don't tell them when they're happening I don't like say anything to my parents until they're over and then they're like why didn't you tell us and I'm like ah flip my mind again oh I'm so sorry <laughs> my parents haven't seen me do comedy too much I think I think that's mm. the problem they like well they're really good like I'm pretty clean so they're they're cool now but like when I started I think like any comedian when you start you like you do a lot of dick jokes and stuff yep. and I think uh you know I remember when I started and my mom first came to the show and I I remember like one, t I used to have this joke about like hand jobs, which is like every, <laughs> every comedian has a joke about giving hand jobs when they start. It's, it's like a rite of passage, you know? True. And uh, it's like, whatever song was the first one you wrote on spit, you probably hate the most. It's like the same thing. It's like, Oh, I, that was the first joke I wrote. And like, it got laughs, but it's so bad. And I'm like ashamed that it happened. <laughs> uh, and I remember my mom coming to the show and the only thing she's, I remember someone asked her about it and I was there and they're like, Oh, how is it like to see him do comedy? And like, he probably swears and stuff. And my mom just said, <laughs> my mom's a very sweet lady she's like well i can separate johnny my son from johnny the comedian oh <laughs> not like, a fan oh. not a fan john she and that's the thing though she was a fan but like she had to let like like in my mom's mind i'm still a virgin like yeah. she knows i'm not but like that's just the way that for her that's the way she prefers to think about life like people yep. who have these relationships with their parents where they're like oh yeah like i told my mom i got fucked last night or you're like what, what? No. i don't understand those relationships at all Same. my mom is just like Same. i'm <laughs> my mom's like don't even don't, don't even don't tell care. me don't yeah. want to know uh <laughs> And, and, and it's the same relationship that we have now. I would, I don't, I, I think I swore in front of my parents for the first time in 2011. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I, I uh, was afraid to smoke in front of my parents for a long time, yeah. but I mean, you can probably, I, I mean, that's surprising to me that you didn't swear in front of your parents until 2011, because when my show like took off and like, it's my other podcast that i do but like my i talk about drugs on that all the time it's like 
a main thing and i was like you know what fuck it i can't hide it from him anymore so i'm right. just gonna you know i i now go over there and i talk to him about like doing lsd and stuff like that they're pretty conservative <laughs> types too but i just sort of felt like you didn't feel did you, you didn't feel that like freeing moment when it became such a big thing that you were able to just be like well they're gonna find out fuck it who cares <laughs> No, I still don't. <laughs> I still don't. Like, I mean, I, I have to be very careful and I, I try to be anyways. When I do YouTube videos or inter interviews or anything, I still am very careful that I don't talk about some things. <laughs> like, I mean, there are yeah. some things that I do that I have told many times. Like the first time I told the story about um, getting super drunk with Phil and Selmo. First of all, um, super illegal at the time because i was 16 so <laughs> yeah, yeah like i don't know what the, wait what's the drinking age in florida it's still 21 20, right? 21 it's 21 everywhere okay. so yeah very very much legal um but uh the fact that it was like a 40 year old man that was giving me <laughs> alcohol is also not a good and the thing lead singer of a very famous metal band <laughs> yeah but you know uh i have to, yeah i have to be very careful and i censor myself a lot but that was the one time where i'm like maybe i shouldn't have told that story but so yeah. so we had keith buckley from every time i die on okay. here a couple of a while ago we talked about ozfest and i know you played ozfest like yes. what was that experience like for you uh like traveling high school circus <laughs> does that make sense like yeah. I mean, yeah a bunch of really immature people and it doesn't matter how old you are and what are like how you old are you old you are really but it was just traveling high school uh so much fun drama lots of drama good stuff good good drama um, <laughs> but like uh the, like probably the best tour ever and it'll probably remain the best tour i will ever do in my life but that's okay that's great if i can go on a high point then everything else is downhill yeah, from that's there that's right i mean, I well, mean meeting you... sorry go ahead brian i'm sorry well i mean meeting uh, I, I mean i i don't remember who was on the year i the year you guys did it but when like um when I when when he was talking about getting to meet like a, he said that it was sort of segregated between the the uh, second stage acts and the first stage acts, but that like it was just kind of he got to meet like so many people that like that seemed huge. Like there's no possible way that he would have ever met, and and you were on there with like Slayer and Tool, so well, <laughs> it just feels like you're on there with like legends. That year, uh, 2000 was like an amazing year because a lot of great bands had records that came out that year. As you know, Pantera was on that tour with us, hence the drinking story. Uh, <laughs> and uh, sorry, on the main stage, it was oh. Ozzy, obviously. Queens of the Stone Age, wh who I never saw. Like, I was like, are they even on this tour? Like, <laughs> like, they just magically appeared on stage just, when it was their set time. And, and then disappeared, which is also quite normal. A lot of bands are very like, like, like you're saying, um, like segregate from other, from the other people. Right. Um, from the, from the plebs on the second and third stages. Uh, but like Soulfly was on that tour. Who's oh. he opened for them. And that uh, Max Cavalera is like a big, he's a big like, top guy for me. 
Oh man, that was that was an experience because I was a huge, <laughs> huge, huge Soulfly fan. But then, uh, yeah. So then there was so Incubus was also there. Hell yeah. Uh, who else? Uh, I actually have the book somewhere. They they gave this like promotional book to all the bands, and of course I'm a I'm a hoarder. I literally have kept everything <laughs> just sweet, though. Everything. like to, to brian and i that's like the coolest thing you could say like we're just <laughs> huge like you know we we kind of started this podcast because we're we both like we recognize that like new metal is kind of dumb but like we both also like unironically love it like yeah. there's not like we do still both regularly <laughs> listen to new metal and we love it so it's I, this is not like out of out of the realm for us like the idea that you have these like new metal artifacts is like very cool to us too because well, i sorry go I, ahead. I, I, I mean i like corn's newest album like i i listen to corn's newest album semi-regularly still <laughs> <laughs> it is funny because those records for me the ones that i was listening to say from like 95 to 2001 esque are frozen in time for me like nothing can touch them in terms of how they make me feel in terms of uh, you know where it, what what place it brings you to when you listen to it, and there has not been, with the exception of Diamond Eyes, <clears throat> say a prayer for Diamond Eyes. Just <laughs> uh, perfection uh, has made me feel like that sense. Like I can, I can with okay. Wait, <laughs> three dollar bill, y'all. I haven't listened to since two thousand and. <laughs> That's understandable. That. But like, I mean, there's still a few bangers on there. Like, yeah, but like mainly because of what's his name, the guitar player. Uh, West, West, yeah, Wes, Wes Borland. He's amazing. He's yeah. like, oh my god, I love that man. We talk uh, about that on the show. His riffs, like, he, no one has done new metal riffs better than him. It's insane how many like good riffs he he just pulled out. So Incredible. But like Taproot's record. Yeah, I like both of Taproot's. Love records. that. See the first, uh, the first, the one. first one or the second one? Gift or uh, what was the second one? Gift. Okay, I, I liked the one know. after that better. I can't remember what it was called. It was when Taproot just basically was like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this, but like way softer on their yeah. second record," which I liked. Yeah. I don't oh, know. Welcome, Fuck, I welcome. Yeah, there you go. Loved that. Yeah, I mean, like, you know what I'm the- saying though? Like those <laughs> records will can never be t- touched for you because it was in a. They came out in a formative period for like you know for us, and so it's it. it they're just they're untouchable in my yeah no i think that like it's cool like i wanted to ask you about that because i think um i agree with you for for sure like and that that's a thing like i think people sometimes make fun of me or us for being like well olympus gets so dumb or whatever and it's like yeah but i but when i'm listening to it i feel 13 and it wasn't dumb when i was 13 so it doesn't matter you know but was that something like so you obviously listened to a lot of those records at the time like is that when you guys set out to make spit was that like what you were shooting for like you wanted to be like a new metal record that kind of fit in with those or what like did you have a sound in mind when you started oh we didn't really have a sound in mind no it was just kind of a a a, a combination of everything that we were listening to at the time and i think that there was an element of wanting to emulate the the the, the mostly men that we were um we looked up to um all of us kind of coming at it from a different perspective but you know Yes, I think that there was certainly the I want to be the next Chino Marino. <laughs> Me too. Me three. That was the thing. Uh you know, and it, we we had um but there, it's funny because there was also 
some elements of what I wouldn't consider new new metal as well. Like we are huge Marilyn Manson fans. I don't consider new Marilyn Manson new new metal Um, or silver chair, for example, huge influence on us, but my cat, Um, but not new metal. I wouldn't consider them new metal. I don't even know. Silver chair is not for sure. To me, Marilyn Manson's like new metal adjacent. Oh, I like. like I wouldn't say he was doing new metal, but like like Brian and I just did a bonus episode where we did Everlast's album, which is like oh. so bad, but like I would consider that new metal adjacent too, only because it's like to me it's like any bands that would have toured with new metal bands. Okay. So like okay. Everlast was like on Woodstock and he probably toured with who you know, new bands that were doing new metal and like to yeah. me it's like the same kind of thing with Marilyn Manson. Like right. you could have easily had a show where you had Marilyn Manson and Corn or Marilyn Manson and the Deftones or whatever, and it would have fit. Yeah. But yes, I agree that they weren't doing new metal. Whereas like yeah. Silverchair to me is not at all. Like you would never have Silverchair opening for Corn or something like that. Like I that saw them fun. play with Blink One Eighty Two. Oh hell yeah! Okay, now we're talking. <laughs> like, Frog Stomp was Frog Stomp was a great so album, yeah. powerful album. I loved it. <laughs> it's still. I, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who, who were, her and I are still Silverchair stands, even though Daniel Johns is a little now, but that's okay. Uh, he <laughs> uh, that record. I can listen to it start to finish and it's just incredible. All, like just considering that they were about the same age. Well, no, they're a little bit older than us, but about the same age. And we were like, oh, you know, we're going to tour with them one day because we're both more or less the same age. It never happened, but whatever. I mean, Daniel Johns is, I mean, he's all, I, I would also put him in our pantheon of hot guys. Sure. I mean, Agreed. Yeah. I mean, so. now he looks totally gangsta. It's awesome. I'm, I'm feeling <laughs> it. Like he, he could play in like Machine Gun Kelly's band or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's got a huge neck tattoo, and I'm like, what? Is oh this? man. He, he became new metal. It just took him 20 took years. A little bit, yeah. It took him time to get to get into that. Yeah, it was okay. funny. Like you brought up like the you know that it was you were emulating music made by men mostly. Yeah. Um how did you like, was that something that you were conscious of that you were like trying to make it different because you're all women or just like, you were like, yeah, we just are going to do what we're going to do. And the fact that we're women is like, whatever. Definitely the latter. Yeah. And, and, and unfortunately uh, there weren't, there weren't bands that were doing the kind of music that we liked and that were female. So um you know, there and then and there were some early comparisons when we first came out that we were like, uh, what was that band called? Um, the Donnas. Yeah, the Donnas. You guys are like L7. Are you like, the, I'm like, no, <laughs> we're actually nothing like them. I don't know if you've ever heard an L7 record, but the, no, it's yeah. just well, because there was no analog at the time. Like there was nothing that they could. So there was a lot of pulling at straws or being like, Kitty is a cocktail of like, if you took L7, you took away the music and added a little bit of a little, like a dash of the Deftones and a dash of this and a dash of that, then it's Kitty. But, but they always had to include that one all female band in it that yeah. you had no, yeah. it's like, it's like, Oh, it's like the Donna's mixed with corn. It's like, yes. well, there's none of the Donna's in this music. <laughs> <laughs> the so only true. thing we have in common is that we're women. That's it. Exactly. It was like, okay, yeah. guys, nice try. But then I, I really respected the journalists that were like, there is no, there's nothing like it. There's just, it's just not, you know, you can try and come up with things, but there's nothing like, it. but no, I would say, um, we didn't 
we didn't really think about it from the, we are females doing this. It's just, we are huge fans of a, of an, of a very special genre. Um, when did you get into it? When, when did you like, what was the first kind of metal band that drew you to, to doing heavy music? Sepultura. Uh, Roots. Roots. Yes. <laughs> I love yep. that album. I actually had tickets. That to was, see them touring for that album, but it was right when Max left. Like he left while I was holding the tickets. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still like, remember those tickets. Script, but yeah. Those yeah. tickets were $13 and 75 cents. Like I still even just remember how much they cost. It was such <laughs> it, it it killed me because like Roots Roots was like a really really important album to me because it, it did feel like I had been listening to corn and uh, I had found the Deftones very early on. And, and like, there weren't a lot of band, like in 1995 and like to 1997, there weren't a lot of these bands. You were like, kind of listening to like, if you were like a fan of this kind of music, there were like four bands yes, <laughs> and you were like, had exactly to go back it. and forth. <laughs> Yeah. And like, I think in like 94 and 95, I was listening to pretty much exclusively grunge. So your Nirvana's, um, I was a huge fan of Mud Honey, Sonic Youth, like all of those bands. I was listening to the pretty much exclusively that and whole too, very much whole. But, uh, then when I met Mercedes who happened to have this really super cool sister who was into your corns, your, your Deftones. And then she puts on this record and, and it wasn't a record of CD, but still, uh, puts on this record. And I'm like, what the fuck kind of music is this? This is great. <laughs> and it scared me. It did. It scared me at first, yes. but <clears throat> fucking hell. It, it, it still remains one of my top, I'd say top 10 ever. I will say, um, so I've talked on this show many times about how this music scared me. Uh, mm -hmm. Brian is eight years older than me. I actually, I thought you were a little older than me too, but you and I are basically the same age Fallon. But yeah. I was like, um, I, cause I didn't realize you were so young. Basically <laughs> that's the only reason <laughs> I was like, Oh shit. Okay. You were like my age, but doing this is sick. Um, I also, okay. I went to high school <laughs> with cereal Joe. So I know a little bit about Canadian bands doing well when they're young. Uh, it's, all a, it's all a mistake it is it <laughs> how is. long will it take <laughs> and that, it's a question we've been pondering for most of our adult lives <laughs> i went to a party with the singer once oh ryan I, dennis what a loser i was the singer i can't remember but it, people were all like Shh. no he's not a loser he's fine enough but uh yeah the um but i was gonna say like i've talked on this show like new metal definitely scared the shit out of me um, no question. And I have to admit, uh, this record in particular scared me a lot as well. Not that I thought that any of you were scary. It was more just like, I came from a fairly conservative family. I was a pretty late bloomer as far as like sex goes. Mm -hmm. So like the idea of like, Oh, there's women doing this music. I think they're talking about sex. This is, <laughs> this is scary to me. <laughs> I was like, I, was like, I don't want to be confronted with this. I can't handle it. Yeah, it was like, 
it, it was weird because I, I think I always tried to hide like listening to new metal from my parents because earlier on, like in the 94, 95, 96 range, I was like Weezer, Green Day, Blink-182, which are like fairly non-offensive. If your parents walk by and you're listening to that, I don't think they're like, what the hell, you know? Yeah. And when I got more into new metal, I remember like really trying to hide it from them. And there was just something about your band where I was like, I don't know if my parents are going to like me listening to this sex music made by women. <laughs> sex music <laughs> made wasn't. by women. I mean, it de- like a lot of that record deals with things that uh, should make people uncomfortable, I think. Oh, totally. And, and that's the thing, like listening back to it now, and I still, you know, I've been a fan of that record forever and I've never stopped listening to it, but like listening to it again for this pod, I was like, wow, like I all, I probably just didn't even understand half of it. Like I just thought it was, I was 14. I thought it was about something a lot different than it was. And now I'm like, oh wow. Okay. Yeah. They're really like speaking some truth to power here in, in a, in a cool way that I'm sure like you must've heard a lot, uh, from uh, female fans that really that, that 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 kind of stuff must have resonated with them. Totally, I do. I do. Uh, I did, and I still do. Uh, from so weird, there's like this been this weird resurgence of of people, uh, you know, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds who found me or found the band and being like, "Yo, Spit is fucking amazing," because it's it again, it speaks a lot of truth to me. Um, and this record is 20 ish years old, um, but it still resonates with them today. Um, and I even had that moment myself um, when I was like practicing for, we had a, a reunion show in 2017, practicing for it because I literally hadn't played any of those songs in like 17 years or something like that, something crazy like that. So I was like, okay, well, we're getting back into this. And then I'm just like listening to the lyrics again with fresh ears almost. And I'm like, shit, this shit still holds <laughs> up, man. It still holds up. So yeah. It does. It well, here's the thing. Here's why there's a resurgence. I have I I feel that 2020 is the year of metal. It's like this is the metal resurgence year. Mm-hmm. And also like a lot of like there was like a real real run of a lot of younger rappers talking about how they grew up with in the new metal era like being kind of like into that stuff and i think that like you know people have made fun of a lot of these albums but in the end like a lot of them still hold up this this album really i mean like i didn't hear it at the time but like listening to it for the first time like six times in two days uh it really it blew me away like it 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 didn't sound like uh uh, any of the other bands but it felt like it was part of the the genre of music and that's like i feel like that's such a hard thing to do like i I, it felt like uh uh like i remember when i first heard coal chamber and i was like they don't like sound like like I liked I liked like one of each kind of new metal band. It was like once they started to get repetitive, it yeah. was kind of like, all right, you know, it, you know, when 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 saliva sounds just like Limp Biscuit, you're just kind of like, well, I already got Limp Biscuit. But this yeah. album, I mean, uh, this is I think one of the best ones we've reviewed so far. Oh, and uh cool. 
<laughs> and uh, it's so aggressive and so cool. And uh, I don't know. I just wanted to tell you it's really great. I have a daughter too, and I'm going to make her listen to this. So. <laughs> Uh, I really, I highly, highly recommend that you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna try. I recommend you do. Um, <laughs> it's, it's also interesting too. From um, me, I'm like obviously, I'm a woman, but I'm also a woman of color too. So I get a lot of emails or messages from people who, you know, who are people of color from especially women saying, you know, when I heard your music for the first time and then I saw you, that also was like a, a reassurance that there are other women out there like me. I may be black or I may be Hispanic or whatever, but you know, I, I'm, I'm represented in some way, um, which is super cool. I got a message from one of the young rappers that you were telling, uh, talking about. Her name is princess Nokia. Nice. She, I was literally going to bring her up. Yeah. That's and she so sweet. I just want to say that you made me feel visible at a time where I didn't uh, at all. That and is sick. I was like, wow, okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know what to say. I was like so flabbergasted. And so, uh, yeah, grateful. That's amazing. Well, I can imagine too, like probably part of the reason why people still reach out to you is that we're 20 years removed from the album and there still hasn't been a lot of all female groups doing this kind of music or even female fronted groups doing this kind yeah. of music. Yeah. So like, I can imagine that too of like, if you are, you know, yeah. Princess Nokia released like a new metal ish album, you know, not that long ago, or maybe you listen to some of these SoundCloud rappers who are name checking corn and Deftones and whatever. And so you're going back and listening to new metal you if you're if you want something different or you want a band that has women involved like you guys are still kind of the only ones yeah that did it like it's, yeah. it's so weird that it, that just happens to be the way it is for whatever reason i'm not sure why it is the way that is i know it doesn't make any sense really but i can't even really right. think of I, on one hand besides like who like, like lacuna coil what was the other yeah. name of the that's female fronted female fronted yeah christina i think was her name right yeah and... back in the time nashville pussy was uh female oh, fronted God. yeah i remember them yeah. <laughs> they were crazy and snake river conspiracy do you remember them and uh there was um i do remember them uh fuck what was the other band they hated us snake river conspiracy i don't know why. oh really <laughs> <laughs> tea okay everybody get your tea bags right. <laughs> uh, hey, this is what people this is what people want they want to hear about the snake river conspiracy versus kitty feud well <laughs> and let me say this let me say this the pod cast is 100 on on your side now, but fuck snake river conspiracy is how i feel about them you know it was it was so weird because it was sort of a, a passing comment um from somebody on my, on, I vividly remember this on the tour bus. They're like, "Oh, looks like Snake River Conspiracy talks shit about you and some da 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 da." And we're like, "What? We're children, and you're like a grown ass woman. Like, what the hell is wrong with you?" But anyway, um, and POD also they didn't like us either. They well, uh, here's very, the thing. Very here's much the thing we learned about POD. They're kind of dumb. That's what, that's what we learned. We learned they're kind of dumb. <laughs> You read interviews and you're like, like, you know, interviews are one thing, but it's like you read enough and you watch enough. Like we always do preparation for these pods and it's like, 
you can, you know, maybe I don't know them exactly, but like if I read 10 interviews and you come across as an idiot in all 10 of them, I mean, you know, sometimes the shoe fits, you know? If the shoe fits, that's Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and uh, one of the, I mean, we've had some, we've done mostly albums that we've liked so far. But uh, we had a real run there where we did P.O.D., Whitey Ford Sings the Blues, and Puddle of Mud. So this has really been kind of a reward for <laughs> going through a few crazy months there. Oh, man. Well, I-, I, have to, I think I feel like because Brian didn't listen to this album when he was younger. So and I'm Canadian. So like to me, you know, like I. I discovered you guys from much music like, you know, that was like, which is uh, probably a foreign experience for a lot of people who would have heard you from touring with other bands or, you know, whatever. Whereas like for me, it was literally like I saw the Charlotte video on much music and I was like, oh, this is super cool. And I've never seen this before. And then, you know, it just kind of went from there. And I, I feel like Brian not having listened to it was kind of like, oh, you know, I don't really know much about Kitty. And I was like, listen, okay, this is we got to do this album because it kicks ass and they're also Canadian. And this is like my Canadian childhood. Okay. We got we have to <laughs> so bring them. Don't get it twisted. Exactly. We got to do Don't this. get it twisted. This is my Toronto <laughs> shit. Okay. I live in Vancouver now, but I grew up in Toronto. So. Oh, cool. Okay. So I'm ready. Uh, you know, I was like, we got to do this. And I was, I was so pumped that Brian liked it. He's like, it, which is great because I was that's, like, yeah. That's very rewarding. Very rewarding. It, it is. is. Brackish is just the craziest fucking song. I'm like, really, nothing else sounds like it. And I feel like if an alien asked me to play new metal for him, I would probably just play them that song at this point. It's it's really a great song. Oh, thank you. It's, uh, <laughs> it's strange because when we, that was one of the first songs we ever wrote. And I think without uh we had a a dj play like this kind of rave beat over top of it if you remove that from that song it would totally it totally changed it because we were like kind of like oh this song is it needs something something's missing um and so then we when we got the dj i think his name is dj dan (laughs) 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 dj dan in there uh oh Oh, yeah i don't hey call dj dan he'll he's the guy and you know we lived in london ontario it wasn't even like toronto or i'm sure there were you know but he did an amazing job he picked exactly what brought the song from like okay to like really fucking awesome um so yeah it was the song that we worked the hardest on to kind of bring it up a notch because just by itself it was kind of it's okay right But, but yeah well i saw i read some interviews that were talking about um that um i think it was an interview with morgan where she had said that you guys like some of the songs that were on this record you had written like five years prior or something like that like some of the songs are like crazy old how did you like how did you eventually decide like okay these are the songs that have to go on the record or these don't or did you rework them for the record like it sounds like you reworked brackish for the record so was it kind of like once you decided to record you reworked a lot of it or like what did that look like because i think most bands now it doesn't take it's not usually five years or six years of sitting on songs before you release them totally and and it's funny because we didn't really besides brackish we didn't really do much reworking um you know there were songs that including that one that were quite old excuse me so uh we wanted to keep it as true to what 
we had envisioned previously uh, as much as we could. And yeah, so there wasn't really much besides that one. Uh, we did have a couple of other ones that we scrapped. We thought, okay, no, this isn't going to work. One of them was one that I sung and I really, really, re- I'm grateful to the new metal gods that it never resurfaced. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately the worst fucking song ever. And they still make fun of me for it. <laughs> so I uh, remember how I said I wanted to be Chino. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you, you learned know? that you couldn't be Chino. I was definitely not Chino. And uh, we had another like B side that we did. We, uh, that we thought, okay, maybe we will put it on something. And I, I think it, it was released on a, a foreign, you know how like back in the day they'd have the foreign import. Yeah. The Japan. Yeah. The Japan release. Yeah. Whatever. Um, and we did a, a cover of a Debrat song and um, yeah. that was like, Morgan can spit rhymes, girl. Like she, she may be from Brampton, but she can spit. <laughs> it's probably why she can spit rhymes because she's from Brampton. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was so good, and it was so well done. Uh, but it just didn't really fit because we didn't right. want a, a rap rock band, you know. And those two songs were very rap rocky, obviously. But uh, we wanted to keep more melodic, I think. And so, yeah, we did. We didn't really too much change that was a safe move i i think like even by in like 99 98 i mean i guess you were writing them in 95 but like it it did feel like some of the bands that were rapping were gonna maybe like not last as long (laughs) as as the other bands like it i think it's really telling that that the people that have stuck around and that people are still list coming back to are like you know uh you guys have a huge base of people that love you because I've been yelled at because of the polls every month. <laughs> and, uh, um, but like it's corn and it's Deftones and it's like these bands that they didn't, I mean, Deftones rapped occasionally, yeah. but it, it like, even like uh, on white pony when they did back to school it was just like that even felt like they were like fine we'll do a rap song <laughs> so, well like, the it, label it, literally made them do it right do like it. That, yeah. so that's yeah. why like they're like hey that like kind of sort of rapping thing you do on pink maggot maybe you could like <laughs> make that into a we could do like a school video we'll put you guys in like a high school people will love it it'll be so sweet did yeah, they try to is- push you to rap uh Fallon? Oh, no. Our our label was, at the time, uh, very small. Um, we were signed to a record label called NG Records. They had, like, maybe five bands, five or six bands, uh, of all, f- from all uh, walks of life. Like, they had this band called LES Stitches, and they were, like, these this gutter punk band, and they had Orange 9mm. They were very much, like, kind of Helmet-esque band with rap tendencies perfect <laughs> and That's so they i was were, always looking for helmet yeah. with rap <laughs> <laughs> orange eye millimeter is actually really good really, like i they're fantastic I, man yeah i don't know if they're still going or what's going on with that but anyways uh it, they they were very hands-off you know and and so was garth actually and i at the time didn't realize just how fucking monumental having him as a producer was for us did he uh, invite you out to his disc golf course no 
No, no was that that might have been later after he recorded some more. Maybe he got more spine famous. Shank, he did Spine Shank after us. He did a bunch of. He did like this uh, whole strictly sh- diesel. Yeah, like such a, 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 a slew of other like new metal bands. Yeah, he very famously has his studio in North Vancouver here, and he has his own disc golf course on the property. So like, I don't even band, know what disc golf. It what it what is that? It's like you play golf but with frisbees. Oh my god, it's awesome! <laughs> it's really good, but I don't think they invented it until like 2010 because yeah, I had never it. heard of it until <laughs> like I was well into adulthood. Right. So Guga Gagarth <laughs> has it on his property or whatever, yeah. and he's yeah. like, uh, "Yeah, I know," because there's a few local bands who have like recorded some stuff with him, and they're like, "Yeah, it's sweet. You take a break and you just like go play nine holes of disc golf, and then you go back in the studio or whatever." And yeah, yeah I, I would say like we've done a lot of new metal albums uh on the show and obviously we're big new metal fans and your this this record feels it does feel almost like underproduced in a way like it's very gritty it's very gritty sounding it's not paul it's it it very much reminds me of the production on early corn records where it feels very much like the band playing in the room it's very gritty and live how we did it yeah we did uh did most of it live to tape in some cases and uh and then finessed or whatever (laughs) into pro tools which i was like oh this is this is interesting what is this (laughs) because the first two demos we did were to tape so that was my only experience with recording was to tape so i was like oh wow this is cool Cool. oh computer oh uh yeah and it did we we purposefully did that i said I remember us saying to him that we wanted it to be as live off the floor as possible because I knew that that was the way, you know, around the fur and uh, adrenaline had been done was live off the floor. Um, You know, although we couldn't get Terry date, which is fine. Uh, (laughs) Garth Richardson is, I mean, that's just as good, really. God, like it, it, I, I, I I think I did remember turning to them and like, guys, this actually sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) how did this happen how did this happen like that's us that's us playing and yeah so (laughs) this kind of like segues into another question i wanted to ask because i know like so obviously you left the band after this record and i didn't really i don't really care about the like politics of it but i was curious um if part of the reason you left was because of the musical direction because i feel like you're a pretty I don't know anything about, but just getting to know you over the last 45 minutes and then also doing research and stuff, it seems like you're very dedicated new metal metalhead type person. And it seemed like this record to the next, the next record seems very much more like metal, metal, hardcore metal. Like, so I was curious if the sort of creative direction of the band was part of the reason that you had left. Uh, There were definitely times where I wanted to go one direction uh, actually it was all four of us wanted to go in completely different directions. So I was like, okay, this isn't going to work guys. <laughs> we, have to, we have to come to a consensus here. This isn't good. Like at the time, however, I, you know, I, I wouldn't classify, my, classify myself as a metalhead anymore. Um, cause at the time I was getting really hardcore into like ministry and KMFDM frontline assembly, like very industrial metal bands, like kind of leaning away from the whole you know and i was like pushing like maybe we should add like synths and stuff like that and they're like 
hard no. <laughs> Get the fuck out. Which was, well, yeah. So there was a, a, a bit of like not knowing how to navigate a second record. And the second record could be such a kiss of death to a lot of bands. And I, I felt like, you know, this, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Like it's, we're just, you know, our, our, we've got uh record label breathing down our neck saying, okay, guys, you just came off tour and now you need to write your second record and it's got to be out by the end of the year. Like this is in 2001 and we're, we were freaking the fuck out. Cause it's like, how do you do that? We've had five, six years to craft those songs on spit. And then now you're giving us like five months or six months. Like this is, this is no bueno, man. This isn't going to work. And we, I, I said, you know, this isn't, this isn't going to work for me. I'm sorry. It's, it's not. Um, at that point, you realize this is a business. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it and just, that it, usually ruins stuff, too. That, the, the business stuff makes things shitty, usually. Right? And you, trying to get artistic people to, to, to understand that is very hard. Trying to get artistic people who are 17 years old to understand that is also very hard. So um, maybe not so much anymore, but for me, it was just like, I, I can't do this. This is insane. Like, you know, I'm not a fucking machine. Like, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, it was just so weird to me because like that, like going through, and I, I remember like in 2001, um, you know, after having liked spit so much. And then when the second record Oracle came out, I remember be, like feeling like disappointed. Like what is, this doesn't sound like what I was expecting. And um, so I just, yeah, it was, it was curious to me. Like I, I don't, know of too many bands where where the sound was so different after such a successful debut usually mm-hmm. you have the debut record and if the labels like especially forcing you to put it out then you go okay well we'll just kind of do what we did before and hopefully it works out but it's like right away from the first track on the second record you're like oh this is completely different yeah very it's- glossy production a lot more screaming a lot more traditional metal like it's a very different sounding record and i remember i was just like immediately i was like okay well i guess i'll just listen to spit more and that's it. <laughs> you know and yeah I, I think also you know people often ask me you know how much of a hand did you have in oracle i'm like zero nothing like i just i like i said it was i couldn't force myself to do something that i didn't want to do i'm like i don't <clears throat> but this is where we should go with it i think there should be um you know I wanted to go in my own way and it was clearly not going to work. It's just, just right. so, uh, it, but it's, it's, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm starting to lose my voice for some reason. That's okay. Uh, We're almost done. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, listening to some of their later records, like there's some songs and CDs that I had not heard, um, from them until I played with the, did the, what do you call it? The anniversary show. And I'm like, bitch, this, bangs this is fucking awesome <laughs> like, oh, and morgan's like oh thanks she's like you've never um, she's like okay no and never mind i'm not gonna ask you why you have, <laughs> haven't listened to your records like i had no interest in listening to your music at all after i left <laughs> so, no offense but you know that's sort of the way it goes but um it became so Oh, wow. It just reminded me, some of their later stuff reminded me of the intensity that we captured on the first one. So I, I don't know about the middle records. I never listened to Oracle, so I have no idea, but yeah. Right. 
No, it was just, it was something that I thought about today. I was like, I wonder if that was part of the reason just because it sounded so different and um, great. Uh, Brian, did you have anything else? No, I just I want to say I love the album. Thank you for, thank you for doing this for us. Cheers. Well, thank you for uh, having me on here. Talk about it. It's always Yeah, good. it was fantastic. Uh, before we go, is there anything you would like to plug? Oh, yes. So uh, there are a couple of things. I will be releasing a new record, but under my Amphibious Assault moniker this year. Uh, it is a sort of not new metal at all, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> I, I listened like- to some of that some yeah. of the other stuff and i it's great it's like a more industrial but it's still heavy as hell yeah. i i recommend it oh thank you very much so this one is uh very synth poppy uh kind of i don't know i i don't even know how to but it will have lots of guitars and, and possibly yelling so <laughs> yeah uh that's coming out this year i'm not sure when because there's been a little hiccup with this whole COVID 19 thing <laughs> yeah it's the worst uh, <laughs> Uh, I also am a Twitch streamer. I do stream three times a week on Twitch. Uh, look me up on my Fallon Bowman. You'll find me. Um, we have fun there. I do answer some questions from people ask me questions about that time period in my life. Uh, that does happen as well. So if you want to hang out, that's the place to go. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thanks so much for doing this, Fallon. We really appreciate it. It was a blast. Guys. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to tune into one of your Twitch streams and, and bother you on there as well. Oh, uh, you missed it because I, <laughs> I sang. Oh, my God. You, you know what Twitch Sings is? It's like a karaoke thing. Yes. Like, I, I, I sang, uh, what do you call it? Disturbed, that one song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and like everybody in chat was like dying. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, they were like, she, is she going to do the beginning part? And I'm like, oh, ah, 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 ah. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I recently did a, a mini series on my other podcast about Kid Rock, and I did a video of myself singing Only God Knows Why. And it was like one of the most embarrassing things I've ever done in my entire career. <laughs> nice, man. I admire <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah we 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 made the decision when we started this podcast to not play audio clips like a lot of music podcasts especially if they're reviewing older music will play clips of the songs and we just decided we didn't want to go in that direction we didn't want it to be so song specific we wanted it to be more of like about the album and the time period right. but what that has resulted in is uh brian and i singing the songs more <laughs> often than not because it does happen we can't think of a way we're like oh well they're this part of the song you know the part where he goes and then we're just singing on the show and we're like fuck maybe we should have done maybe we should have been an audio clip podcast well maybe that'll be your thing you're the one that that just you know the one that's like i mean i honestly prefer that i i uh i when i sound check instead of being helpful and talking like i normally talk i sing pearl jam songs (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the most fun to do Yeah, I feel that. I feel that. Mine is share. So very close. (laughs) (laughs) Basically the same. That's pretty much the same thing. Share is like, uh, yeah, share is the is the is the female lead of Pearl Jam. If if Eddie Vedder died, you could definitely get share to just. (laughs) Could you imagine the like elaborate costumes? It'd be amazing. I'm imagining it right now. And it sounds amazing. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks so much, Fallon. Take care. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye. Bye. Okay. So uh, we, we've heard from Fallon. We've talked about the record. 
before we get to the challenge, Brian, uh, what I want is, uh, I want you to give me a tweet defense score of this album. So if this is your first time listening to the pod, what we do to review the album, uh, to give it, you know, to put a little bow on it, uh, we, we give it a tweet defense score, which means if someone were to tweet at you and say, hey, I kitty sucks, I hate this record, how many tweets would you go to defend this album, Brian? Eight. Eight out of ten. Well, it's not out of ten. It's eight out of ten. Eight tweets. You go eight. You know, tweets. it's a good, good album. I, I I wouldn't say it's like. I would say it's a really good album. Probably great in terms of like other new metal albums. And it was like exciting to kind of discover a new band in a way while I was listening to it. Um, but. Like, you know, no, eight is a good score. I don't need to explain my fucking self you don't. to you Eight's people. A great score. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to step it up this episode um, because I feel like having Fallon on the show was such a treat. And I feel like that really like, you know, it's always nice. Um, so Fallon and I have a mutual friend and that was kind of how we got uh, set up with her. And it's really nice when you've been a fan of someone for a long time and then they're just like really cool and you have like a really fun time talking to them and and she just seems like super down to earth and awesome. So I loved that um, about her. I loved having her on the show and I just feel protective of Kitty because they're Canadian, because they're part of my childhood, because they're just, you know, I'm going to go 10. I would do 10 tweets. Okay, uh real quick, uh I'm I I want to take mine back. I want to do 11 tweets. I would do <laughs> Do you want to do 10.1 tweets? tweets. Just, <laughs> just the littlest amount better that you can do. Was it yeah. as I was saying all the nice things about Fallon that you realized that you had to step it up? No, I just like to be the high man on these things. <laughs> okay, you can be the high it makes man. Makes me look nice, you yeah. know? Yeah, you are nice. You are a very nice guy, Brian. Of course. I try. I try. But no, I mean, it's an eight. Eight's great. Eight's a B. I fucking <laughs> barely got any B's when I was. In- <laughs> That's true. And it's a solid B, too. It's a B. It's a it's B in a solid font. It's it's in there. It's locked in. It's not like flirting with a C plus. It's it's like it's, it's a right B plus. It's like the teacher's fucking proud to be writing that B. Like that's God absolutely damn. right. It's like when I used to get a B when I was in high school, they'd be like, "God damn, Brian, you got a B!" That's congratulations, you yeah, did so congratulations. well. This is your version of an A plus. <laughs> that's absolutely true. Uh, so yeah, we uh, before we get to our challenge and we and we wrap up this episode. Uh, you can uh, uh, donate to the show at uh, patreon.com slash the POD cast. And of course that's cast with a K like corn. Uh, we have had a bunch of great bonus episodes. We do one bonus episode a month, so it's just $4 a month and you get that one bonus episode. We just had Felix Biederman of Trapo Trapo of Chapo Trap House on the show uh, to discuss Everlast's Whitey Ford sings the blues uh, that was a that was a blast. The episode was super fun. The album sucked shit, but uh, the episode was a was a blast. And Felix is a great guest. Uh, we've also had Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die, which Brian alluded to earlier. We've had Molly Lambert, Nick Weiger, Chris James. We got uh, you get access to the whole back catalog. So check that out at patreon.com slash the POD cast. You can follow us on Twitter at the POD underscore cast again cast with a K. Uh, we do all the polls that you're going to hear about on this episode. We do on our Twitter. So if you want to participate in the polls, 
Make sure that you follow us on Twitter and you can choose which albums we do for the show. Brian, we're moving on to the challenge and I have some bad news for you, my friend. Uh, I once again defeated you last month. This was a tight vote, tight vote, 54.3 to 45.7. But I took you down, uh, unfortunately. And so that means I, I have a 6-3 lead in the challenges. So oh, I thought I did good last month. So that's good disheartening. Too. You did yeah. really good. I don't, I don't know. I'm on a streak. We were 3-3 three, three, and I've won the last three months. So, well, you know, I'm a, you know, I don't, I'm a, I'm not a sore loser at all so i feel good for you actually so you, you winning actually also makes me feel good and i appreciate that that's very which is nice. which is a lot like a win for me just for being a nice person and that sounds like a teacher giving you a b uh same <laughs> energy right there that was the same energy in that whole oh brian you're really nice about that and i do appreciate that yeah uh, <laughs> nice boys nice boys are actually better than winners in True. a way and that is it's like kind of like in the end if you were nice it's almost better than actually winning so i'm glad to i it's fine you beat me but you know what i'm a fucking angel so true that's and just I can't argue the way with it is <laughs> uh we finish every episode with a challenge inspired by the album and so we've obviously talked a lot with fallon about uh recording an album at such a young age and so Brian and I are going to transport back. You know, Fallon told us a lot of these songs were written when they were like 13, 14, 15 years old. Uh, so we're going to go back. We're going to pretend that we are 15 years old. And Brian and I are going to talk about the metal song that we would have written when we were 15 years old. We're not going to sing. There's not going to be any of that involved. But we're just going to give you the general concept of what a song would have been like. And maybe you could give us a, what your band would have been called as well. So give us a, Brian, your, your band name and your, uh, and your, your song. Oh, geez. My band name. That's a tough one because I think I had band names in the past that I wanted to be. Yeah. But uh, give me a second on the band name, but my no song would be about how girls are mean and uh, uh, how I pine away at them, but they ignore me, even though I never really talk to them. You know, that would kind of be the whole thing, because that's all I ever thought about at that time. Was right. So you would be having like a girlfriend them for you being shy. Yeah, it would, I would. Exactly. Which is perfect for new metal, because that's that is. Yeah, know, that's most pretty toxic Korn's, behavior. Yeah, most of Korn's <laughs> songs, I think. Yeah. And I, yeah, I would just be blaming some. I would probably be singing about somebody very specific that I talk to every day, maybe even on the phone. But I never, you know, profess my uh, uh, love for them. And uh, it makes me hate them. And then I sing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And shit, I'm trying to think of what my band name would be, John. Uh, uh, probably like, I don't know, something probably that had to do with drugs. Like, uh, uh, right. shit. Like a vague drug reference? Yeah, yeah. It would probably be something, honestly, at 15, it would have been something like, like Acid Head 
or or like <laughs> I'll go that, with Acid Head. Acid yeah, it sounds real. Like it sounds like a real band name that would have. There, I, there's got to be a band named Acid Head. But now it's your turn. Okay, I would have had. Uh, so I had a I had a band when I was like 13, and we were called Uncanny Influence. But I won't. I don't even know where we came up with that from. That won't be the band name because we that had was somebody band. else in the band, right? Like yeah. it oh, wasn't yeah. you. It wasn't me. Um, although we did like uh, the the I played drums and a guy played guitar in the band named Greg, and he now plays drums in Tokyo Police Club. So Uncanny Influence was like a launching pad, you know, for the careers of myself, a stand-up comedian, and Greg, a drummer in a in a well-known indie band. Uh, That's but uh, cool. I also had a joke band with Greg, and we were called Squeezy Cheese. And uh, I would go with that. I would go with squeezy cheese because uh, it sounds stupid, like corner limp biscuit. It would have like it would have fit with the with the like ethos of like we have a very stupid band name, but we talk about really what we believe to be serious shit. And uh, my song would definitely be about being grounded because um, I, I got suspended from school a lot when I was younger and uh, my parents would ground me and usually that would involve me having to sit in my room all day <laughs> so i would have that was like my ground or i'd get grounded off a of tv or whatever so like my song would be about getting grounded all the different punishments you know i'd probably have like a verse about how i can't play video games and i have a verse about like all the things that are in my room but it'd be cryptic because i was like a very moody kid so i'd be like talking about being stuck in my room but i'd be like green walls hockey sticks like it would be like i wouldn't ever talk about how it was specifically my room but just like that i'm trapped in there and how dare my parents trap me in my room you know so that would be my the song might even be called like grounded by squeezy cheese uh, oh and, geez. and then yeah i would probably i would also have a verse about how like my parents are wrong and like what i did wasn't that bad that's actually the chorus so the verses are like about how like about my various punishments and then the choruses are about how it's like my parents fault and I didn't actually really do anything that bad and they just don't understand. Um, that is I mean, here's the thing. Uh, uh, I was going to like kind of uh, bust your balls about squeezy cheese and then but like my argument was going to be like, well, corn is a cool name for a band. Limp Biscuit is a cool name for a band, but that's only fucking because. You know, I just think they're cool guys now. You yeah. know, names and are corn, hard. corn with a K is corn with the K and the backwards are. I mean, I think that's great branding, personally. Yeah, it has to have the low. The logo is cool. The name yeah. though is like when you tell, especially at that time when people didn't know who Corn were, and you had to be like, "Yeah, my favorite band is Corn." People would be like. There's a band named after corn, like the vet. yeah. I would wear my corn shirt to school, and this guy would call me Squirrel Boy. Just <laughs> apparently, squirrels eat corn. He's not a comedian now, though. Ha ha. So I'm the funny one, motherfucker. Yeah, you can eat a dick, Squirrel. Yeah, boy. go off. That, I want to. I want to update the listeners here. There was a band called Acid Head from Costa Rica, <laughs> and uh, they the Pura Vida man. Yeah, they were th- thrash metal, and uh, they were from 2012 to present, and they've released one EP. So, 
So you didn't That's, rip them off or anything. You don't have to worry about. No, Acid Head's a cool name. I think I because I was really, really like invested in like letting every single person know that I did drugs. <laughs> yeah, so it checks out. It checks out for sure. Yeah. Um. Hell yeah, that's sweet. I think that's going to be another tight challenge. That's going to be people are going to have a tough choice with that one. I like. I like both. It's good. I think you're going to win that one. I, I feel like Squeezy Cheese is like a guaranteed winner <laughs> there. We'll see. Uh, great. Well, we before we go, uh, you know, we, we had to sit out the poll last month and you were very disappointed about that. So the poll, well, we're, we did a poll. We are here and we will. No, I know. But we didn't do it for this episode is what I'm saying. Because we agreed on Kitty ahead of time. So we didn't get to do it last month. And you were bummed that you didn't get to do it. So now we're doing it. It's happening. Uh, we are going to choose two albums each to put up on the poll. And then uh, whichever one gets the most votes is the one that we will do for next month's episode 11. So, Brian, which two albums are you putting on the block this month? I'm doing one that I've never done and one that I've only done, I think, once. Okay. Because I'm just, I feel like, I feel like doing them. Okay. Uh, the first one I'm going to do and, and for, this is for Fallon. Thank you. Uh, Sepultura Roots. I okay. want to do Roots by Sepultura. Mm-hmm. And then number two, uh, Loco or Cold Chamber. I believe it's their self-titled album. It's not it actually called Loco. Yeah, Loco. yeah Cold Chamber self-titled. You're putting it back up. The old. Cold- yeah, I want to see if I can pull. I just read like a bunch about them in this <laughs> chapter. And I was like, ah, you know, I haven't heard Cold Chamber in a while. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. Um, okay. I want, I, I want to, we've, we've kind of, I mean, we got back on track with a good record this month. Um, so, but I'm going to continue the trend of putting up a good record and a bad record, uh, or what I think are good records and bad records. I guess it's all up to the, the, the beauties in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. But, um, <laughs> I mean, if it's a bad, if it's a new metal album that you think is bad, like it's not, it's bad, probably bad. fucking bad. I'm not. I just know that I'm not gonna like it. But it doesn't mean that like it doesn't mean that it's bad necessarily. There are definitely lots of people who like this band. Okay, I've put them, I've put them up before, so we. I only no. put them up once before, but again, this is an odd. You know, Fallon was talking about this band, uh, and that is disturbed. The sickness. <sighs> I'm gonna put that up. I'm gonna put That's that gonna up. win. It might. <laughs> the other one I'm putting up is one we haven't put up before, but which I think is a good record or certainly has some good songs on it. And there would be lots to talk about. Uh, I'm going to put up stained break the cycle. Oh, I was going to put dysfunction up, yeah, but uh, a better album, but break the cycle. There's way more fun stuff to talk about. That's true. That's true. Well, that was, those are good. This is like, you can't really lose here unless disturbed wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll just we'll see what happens. Uh, but yeah, so those will be the four that'll go up. We've got uh, we've got Cold Chamber, we've got Sepultura, we've got Disturbed, and we've got Stained. That poll will go up sometimes to, sometime towards the end of June when we get ready to record this. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Thanks again to Fallon Bowman for joining us in the podcast. You can follow her on Twitter at Fallon Bowman. You can follow us at the pod underscore cast with a k you can also donate to the show at patreon.com slash the pod cast we'll see you back here next month goodbye